The Bible says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. It's about seven miles. Seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou not, uh, hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he's alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village whither he went. They went. And, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he said it meet with them, he took bread and blessed it, and break, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. You've heard the uh, statement, what you don't know can't hurt you. 
<laughs> I googled um, last week that statement, what you can't, what you don't know can't hurt you. You know, there, I, I was surprised at some of the crazy stuff that's out there on the internet about what you can't know or what you don't know can't hurt you. I mean, everyone chimed in on that one, and there was all kinds of interesting uh, tidbits as to why that's not true or, or why it is true or something about that. This morning, uh, the, uh, the bluff of the morning message, the bottom line up front of the morning message is there is something you cannot afford to not know. It will hurt you. There's something you can't afford not to know. And the story in front of us this morning, a, an event, an historical event that occurred on Resurrection Sunday afternoon drives that truth home. That there is something that if you don't know, it will hurt you in your life. In the previous messages, we've studied about Jesus' trial, his arrest, his torture, his execution, his burial, and then finally, his resurrection on Resurrection Sunday morning. Luke, after recording the events immediately surrounding the empty tomb, Luke recorded the first post-resurrection account in his book. It happened to be the third, uh, I'm sorry, not resurrection, the, the, the Luke records his first post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ that he would record in his, in his uh, book, the, the, the Gospel of Luke. Now, it is actually the third. Uh, I'm sorry, the, let's see, one, uh, one, two. It's actually the fourth post-resurrection appearance. Luke glossed over the first three and jumped to this one. Jesus Christ, by the time Sunday afternoon occurred, Jesus had already appeared to Mary Magdalene. He'd already appeared to a group of women. He'd already appeared to Simon Peter. And now it's Sunday afternoon. Confusion still reigns in Jerusalem amongst the disciples. And there's these two guys who are traveling up a road northeast of Jerusalem about seven miles going back home. They'd likely been in Jerusalem for Passover, for the whole week. They were followers of Jesus Christ. Now that everything that has happened in this last eight days, since, since the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, through to the crucifixion, the burial, and then this morning, the news that Jesus Christ is alive. And the apostles aren't believing it. And confusion is reigning. And here these two guys are, and they're walking home, and Jesus Christ appears to them. The fourth post-resurrection appearance. And as Jesus Christ appears to them, God gives us an accounting of some discussion that took place, and it underscores some really important lessons for our lives. Some things that impact us every day we live. Truths that come out of this post-resurrection appearance to these two men traveling to the village of Emmaus. And what we learn is that you can and will be hurt without knowing what comes out of this event. 
There are three groups of lessons that we're going to look at just for a few moments this morning. Three groups of lessons. And the first group of lesson are lessons that we will learn from history. And we've already read the text. These questions are answered in verses 13 to 24. The first question I want to ask is who in the world are these guys? One of them is named. The, the Bible tells us the name of one of them. His name is Cleopas in verse 18. And one of those whose name was Cleopas. The other one remains to this day unnamed. We don't know who it was. Uh, these Cleopas and, and this friend of his, both from the same village, both going home to Emmaus after the events of Passover week. And, uh, and the Bible says in verse 13, there, there are two of them. Who's them? Who are these guys? Who, who are they two of? And if you go back to verse number 9, which we looked at last week, the Bible says, and returned from the sepulcher, this is talking about Mary Magdalene, and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. So in the room, in the house, in the place that the disciples seem to be using as a central location, uh, and, and the apostles are there, and the rest are there. And so there's this group of followers of Christ. They're besides themselves. Since Friday, when, they, when, when Jesus was crucified, they have been hiding. They, they're confused. They don't know what's going on. Well, when they hear the first stories that, that Jesus is alive, they don't believe it. They, they refuse to believe that Jesus was still alive. There's confusion, and these two guys were two of that group that were in that room when the messages from the women came back, and the talk in the room was, I don't believe it. No way. That's a fairy tale. And some of them ran to the tomb, Peter and John. John got there first, stopped and looked in, like you probably would if you were came up to a tomb and the stone was rolled away and there they put a dead body in there just a couple days ago. John stopped and looks in. Peter, rambunctious Peter, he wasn't as fast as John. John outran him, got there first. But Peter, when he got there, he just busted right past John and ran right into the tomb, saw what he saw. And Peter went away not believing. John saw it. John believed. He was the first male, first man that believed what the women had reported. Peter didn't believe it. And they went back. And, and the talk is that this is, this is, these women are hallucinating. They didn't see any angels. This isn't real. Jesus is dead. It's over. He's gone. And out of that group, two men began to go home. And they are walking down the road. Now, what are they talking about? The Bible says they're talking. The Bible uh, uses the, the word communing. Uh, the Bible says they're reasoning and uh, they're talking about the things which had happened. And so they're walking along the road and they're just, they're just all caught up in the news cycle. The last 72 hour news cycle that has been going through Jerusalem. The things that had happened at the end of the week and, and, and up till today. And so the breaking news that had filled the broadcast that, that Israel's Messiah has been killed by Roman soldiers. Another breaking news story that had gone through the news cycle was it was the Jewish leaders in some 
clandestine operation paid somebody off to deliver Jesus to them. And they turned him over to the Roman soldiers. The, the Jewish people really thought that he, many of the Jewish people really thought that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed he was going to deliver us from Rome. They believed that he was the real deal. Finally, after all these generations, the Messiah has finally come. And they really believed it. But then they killed him. The very people that we thought the Messiah was going to deliver us from killed the Messiah. And, and if that isn't enough, today's the third day since they killed him. And there's some women saying that they saw some angels who said, he's not really dead, he's alive. And they're talking about all these things. And the reasoning in the Bible says they are sad. They don't believe it. They haven't seen him with their own eyes. They're not buying the story of the women and the angels. And so they are sad and they're rehashing the 72-hour news cycle and all the things that everyone in Jerusalem is talking about. And they're very sad because they were amongst those that had trusted in him. Verse number 21 says, but we trusted that it had been, he which should have redeemed Israel. We really believed it. And now look what happened. And so there's these guys that are just beside themselves trying to understand world events. Trying to understand the news that they watch. Trying to understand what to make of all the things that people are talking about. They're trying, they're just like you. Trying to understand the news cycle. Trying to understand what was reported on Fox News. In MSNBC, CNN, whoever. Trying to make sense of the world. Trying to make sense of what's happened. Confused. Disillusioned. Because... You really didn't think it was going to get this bad in America. You didn't think that the Holocaust would happen again on your watch. And the atrocities that Russia, that the Russian military rather, not the Russian people, but the Russian military are inflicting upon the Ukrainians are being rumored as reaching to the, uh, to the height of the type of things, not the magnitude at this point, but the type of things that happened when the Nazis tried to take over Europe. And you said, I didn't. If you'd have told me this two years ago, I wouldn't have believed it. And you're trying to make sense and you're disillusioned. Oh, that's where these guys were in their lives, in the time and history in which they lived. I want, I want to look at some things and learn some things from Jesus himself. In verse number 17, Jesus asked the question, because when, when Jesus came upon these guys, uh, they didn't recognize him. The Bible says that their, their uh, eyes were holding that they should not know him. Just like Mary Magdalene, when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, her eyes were, were held from 
knowing who he was. She thought he was a gardener. God had purposely kept these people initially from knowing who they were talking to. Just, just like Mary Magdalene and now these two disciples. And, and so they don't know who it is. And Jesus comes up and Jesus begins to ask some questions. He said, hey guys, can I walk with you? I'm going your way. Hey, I've been listening to you as I, as I caught up with you. I was listening to, what are you all talking about? Verse number 19 says, what things? Jesus, they, they said, you know, are you, are you just a stranger? Haven't you been around? Don't you know? You're walking from the direction of Jerusalem. Haven't you been around Jerusalem the last couple of days? Don't, who, who are you? Don't you know what's going on? And Jesus says, what things are you talking about? And, and, so, and so Jesus Christ asks questions. You ever thought much about the questions Jesus asks in the Bible? Jesus never asked a question to find out what the answer was. Jesus never asked a question because he didn't know what the answer was. Jesus asked questions so the people he's asking the questions of will think about the answer to what question he asked. And so Jesus Christ begins to ask questions. And he asks those questions so that these guys have the opportunity to put into words the dilemma they're in. Do you understand that it's helpful to put into words how we feel and say those words to God? We call that prayer. It's really helpful. We find it throughout the Bible. You find it over and over and over again in rapid succession in the book of Psalms where, where a follower of Jehovah God can't figure things out, is, is in danger, is having a hard time with life and he goes to prayer and his prayer is telling God what situation he's in. Not because God doesn't know what situation we're in but because we need to put it into words and say it to God. We call that prayer. And I learned from Jesus Christ the importance of putting into words what I'm going through and telling God about it. Explaining to God how I feel. Explaining to God what I'm going through. Explaining to God what's going on. Prayer is not to give God information. Prayer is to talk to God about life. And the worship of prayer, worshiping God in prayer, talking to God, spending time with God, communing with God. Jesus led those guys with questions. He led them to put into words the dilemma, to, vo to vocalize, we used to believe. They felt it. Jesus drew it out of them, so they put it into words and said it out loud. God does that with us. He draws us along. And it's good for us to put it into words and to say it to God. Because prayer is to enter into a dialogue with God. So many times prayer to God ends up not with God learning about us, but us learning about God. It's how we build a relationship with God. And that's what God was drawing out of these two guys. Something else I learned from this story from Jesus Christ is that Jesus expects you to know your Bible. 
Jesus expects you to know your Bible. And to interpret your life based upon the teachings of your Bible. So how do you get that out of this? Well, verse number 25, coming a little bit further down in this story, after, after they had told Jesus Christ what their dilemma was, verse number 25, Jesus said unto them, O fools and slow of heart. Now this is interesting. Jesus Christ says that these are, these are disciples. These are guys who had followed Jesus Christ. They're struggling with the current situation. They're struggling with understanding and seeing God at work in their current situation in life. And Jesus draws them to articulate it in words and say it out loud. And then Jesus looked at them and said, you fools. Now, that comes across more harshly to our ears today than what... Jesus' statement would have come across to them in their culture and in the Greek language. The word translated fools is a word which means to not understand. It means to be unintelligent. It means to be unwise in a particular discipline. What Jesus Christ is saying to them, I can't believe you don't get it. I can't believe you don't understand What's wrong with you that you don't understand what's going on in your world and in your life? You see, you ought to know what the prophets have spoken. What's that about? The prophets were the Old Testament preachers whose writings became the Old Testament. It was their Bible. Jesus Christ said, oh, you, you fools, you unintelligent, unwise, you who are, who are not understanding the world around you. You're not believing what your Bible says. Don't you know your Bible? Don't you know what all the prophets said for generations? Don't you study your Bible and know what's happening Jesus reprimands them for not knowing their Bible. He said, your Bible tells you that the Messiah, in verse number uh, 26, ought not Christ, ought not the Messiah to have suffered and to enter into his glory? Aren't there two sides to this double-edged sword of the Messiah establishing his kingdom? Doesn't the Old Testament teach you that the Messiah has to be brutally murdered before he can enter into his glory? Doesn't your Bible teach you that the Messiah has to suffer first and later glory will follow? And just because the one you believe to be the Messiah has been crucified, you're throwing it all in? I used to believe... I don't understand it anymore. What I learned from Jesus is that Jesus Christ expects me to know the Bible. He expects me to understand what the Bible teaches. And he expects me to interpret the world in which I live through the lens of what God said in his Bible. If I don't know the Bible... 
then I'll be like Cleopas and his friend. Well, I used to think, well, I don't understand. Well, I don't know that I believe it. This, this is confusing to me. Why? Jesus said, I'll tell you why. Oh, foolish. Oh, unlearned. Oh, unwise and unintelligent. The cause of their problems was their ignorance of their own Bible. They had it all. They could have known it all. And Jesus expected them to know it all. But because they didn't know their Bible, they were confused. Boy, that's an important lesson for me to learn. It's an important lesson for you to learn. How well do you know your Bible? How many copies of the Bible do you own? How much do you study it? How well do you know it? How well do you interpret the world around you through the lens of what God's Word says? When you see something happen, does it remind you of what God said? When you face a dilemma to make a decision, do you go back to what God said? When you're in a situation that is troubling you, do you go back to what God said? You see, their trouble was caused by their ignorance of the Word of God. They didn't understand their world because they had not studied their Bible. And Jesus called them out on it, held them accountable for it. That leads me to a third lesson I learned from Jesus. Jesus asked me questions to give me the opportunity to put into words and say back to him what I'm going through. Jesus Christ expects me, as a follower of Christ, he expects me to know my Bible, to study it, to know it, and to interpret the world through what God's Word says. And third, the third thing I learned from Jesus is that Jesus is willing to take the time to teach you what you haven't learned. He doesn't just hold you accountable and walk away and leave you to flounder. Jesus will help you. Verse number 27 of our text says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I mean, they're walking down the road. They're going all the way to, the, to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk. And Jesus Christ reprimanded them for their Bible, causing them to be confused and in the dilemma they're in. But he didn't just leave it at that. God didn't leave us to flounder. God wants to help us learn the Bible. And so Jesus Christ said, Let, let's talk about this. And Jesus beginning with Moses and the prophets. Now Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Their Old Testament was broken up between the, the writings of Moses and, and then they got the prophets and then they got the writings. That was the three major divisions of the Hebrew Bible. They the, uh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Jesus started at the beginning. He started with what Moses had written. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then he went through the prophets. And that's where he began. That's not where he ended. The, the last section is the writings. That would include the book of Psalms. So he began with Moses. He ended with Psalms. That was the Hebrew Bible. The law, the prophets, and the writings. He went through the whole Old Testament. He cherry-picked some of the classic passages from the Old Testament. And he showed them how their Bible is filled with information about the coming Messiah. And there was no reason why any Jew should have missed what had happened this last week in Jerusalem. They only were confused because they didn't know their Bible. 
And that, that took in all of them. That took in the apostles. That took in the whole lot of them. They had not been serious about knowing the word of God. And so Jesus called them on it. But then he said, let me talk to you about it. And so he went through the scriptures. Can you imagine a, a, a course on messianic history? The, the Messiah in the Old Testament. A course taught by none other than the Messiah himself. Can you imagine walking down that road with this guy? He's a stranger. You've never met him before. He just kind of told you off a little bit because you haven't invested the time to read your own Bible and study it and know it. And then after holding you accountable for that, he said, let me help you. And he began to teach them. And he went through passage. Maybe he started in Genesis 3 and talked about the, the animal that God slew, the innocent dying in place of the guilty so that the shed blood of that animal could produce the covering that would atone for or cover over the sins of Adam and Eve. Maybe he started there and said the Messiah is the atonement giver. He's the innocent dying for the guilty so sin can be covered over by the death of the innocent went through the Levitical offerings just went through the Bible and talked to them about who he was and how the Old Testament pointed him but notice there's two key things Jesus Christ is focusing on the sufferings of the Messiah and the glory that would follow the sufferings of the Messiah those were the two main points of Jesus' long sermon on that seven-mile walk to Emmaus. And Jesus Christ went through the Old Testament to teach them that he had to suffer. And it's always been that way from the time God created Adam and Eve. And all that God had told them has come to pass, and they have no reason to be confused. He's living out the Old Testament in real time before them. I think probably the top two passages that Jesus may have referred to, one of the top two had to have been Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, through chapter 53, verse number 12. In that last part of chapter 52 and all of chapter 53, we have a five stanza poem, if you please. Five stanzas about the suffering Messiah that ends in his glory. Last time I preached on that in any detail was Easter 2008 back in the warehouse. We took five Sunday mornings, preached through the five stanzas and showed how Jesus Christ was who Isaiah was writing about hundreds of years before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem's manger. I'm sure Jesus Christ took that passage because it's one of the most clear passages in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was the innocent one dying, atoning for the sins of the guilty people of earth. And then I think he probably had to have, he had to have talked to them about Psalm 22. He just had to have talked about Psalm 22. Psalm 22, the most vivid psalm in the writings that, that actually the only place in the Bible where we read what Jesus was thinking while he was hanging on the cross. Written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ walked on earth. And we have his innermost thoughts. It starts with Jesus' cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And then it goes to the inner thoughts that he didn't articulate. But what he was feeling and thinking as he hung on the cross. And it ends in his resurrection and his glory. Being the king of the kingdom of God over the entire earth. Jesus personally helped them understand what they had missed. Because they hadn't spent the time to learn the Bible that resulted in their confusion. And so Jesus Christ helped them. Amazing. Oh, to have been there. And then I want you to see one last group of lessons. They're the lessons we can learn from Cleopas and his friend. Now, what happens next is not merely because they were with Jesus, because they didn't even know who Jesus was that was walking with them. I want you to realize, look at verse number 28 of our text. Verse number 28 says, And they drew nigh into the village whither they went, and he, Jesus, made as though he would have gone further. They were going to the city, the village of Emmaus. They're walking together, the three of them. They get to the village of Emmaus. Uh, the two guys get to the place where they will turn off and go into the village. Jesus just acts like he's... Continuing on, he's got a destination to go to. He's got a place to go. He's got a place to stay. He's just moving on. And they say, oh, just a minute, just a minute. It's late in the day. We've enjoyed so much talking to you. Why why don't you stay with us? But uh, that was Jesus' plan all along. So why did he act like he was going to keep going? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. And so my imagination goes to work. And I try to put myself in that situation. And it seems to me that God wanted to make clear to us that we understand that their desire for Jesus to stay with them was not merely the hospitality of their culture because they were very hospitable people and they would never let a stranger just sleep by the side of the road. But Jesus acted like he didn't stand there and say, okay, uh, you guys, we've got to your place. You guys have a good evening. I'm going to try to figure out where I'm going to go tonight. No, Jesus just acted like he was on his way to wherever he was purposed to go. So when they said, would you stay with us? It makes very clear to us that their desire for Jesus to stay with them was rooted in the thrill of studying The Bible. They had just been in an extensive discussion on the meaning of the Old Testament messianic passages describing how the Messiah would suffer before he would enter into his glory. And they couldn't get enough of the Word of God. They couldn't get, they, they, all these Hours, couple hours walking, it's not enough. Would you stay with us? Would you abide with us? It's toward the evening, the day's far spent. So Jesus tarried with them. And I, one thing I learned from all of that is that nothing will take the place of the thrill of discovery as you study your Bible. You see, they went on to say in verse number 32, did not our heart burn within us while he talked With us, by the way, and while he opened us the scriptures, the thrill of learning the word of God, the thrill of discovering things I've never known before, the thrill of having someone who's a stranger to me. I didn't know it was Jesus. 
He was just a stranger I'd never met before. But he's opening up the Bible. And he's showing me things that I didn't know. He told me I should have known them. And if I had known them, I wouldn't have been confused. And then he helped me to understand them. And as he told me, as he quoted scripture, as he explained scripture, didn't our hearts burn within us as he explained to us the scripture? You know what I learned from these two guys? Nothing will take the place of the thrill of studying your Bible and learning something you didn't know before. And discovering something, you're studying your Bible and God shows you something that you didn't know before. And you went, wow. (laughs) And the thrill, the burning of the heart, the excitement, all learned from Cleopas and his friend. It is exciting to learn what God wrote in his love letter to you. It's exciting to find out what God wanted you to know about him. It's exciting for you to discover truth. And their hearts burned within them. But you know, there's, there's, there's a second lesson from them. And that is, because you know, Jesus, Jesus vanished into thin air. He was just gone. He vanished into thin air, right in front of their very eyes. And, and, and they looked at each other and they said, oh. They didn't say, wow, do you see that? You see that supernatural experience we just had? You know what they said? They said, wasn't that thrilling to learn the scriptures while we were walking down the road? They didn't say, wow, did you see that supernatural? Today, if that would happen today, those two guys would be on the circuit telling the story of the vanishing of the the Christ in front of their eyes. They would have a book deal and they would be on the circuit explaining of how they saw Jesus disappear you know what they did they said what a thrill to learn from the scriptures what we learned today wow and then the second that kind of goes along with that the final lesson is the thrill of discovery as you read your bible will push you to find someone to tell what you learned you know what they did they jumped up they had just walked seven miles to get home They jumped up that same hour of the night. They went trucking back to Jerusalem. They wanted to, this is Sunday night, Sunday night of Resurrection Sunday. They want to get back to Jerusalem, find the apostles, find the rest of the crowd that they had left earlier in the day. They wanted to tell them what had happened and make how that Jesus Christ had made himself known. And then they shared with them. They told them what Jesus Christ had said in the way. In the way, on the road, not in the house when he vanished, but in the way what Jesus Christ had told them. They wanted to share what they had learned from the word of God. You know, the thrill of learning something from the word of God will propel you to find somebody. You can say, you know what I learned today in my devotions? You know what I learned today when I was studying the Bible? I mean, they ran seven miles back to find someone they could talk to about what they learned that day from the word of God. Oh, isn't that exciting? You know, that's, that's a, a good plug for Sequoia. To have a mentor you can meet with regularly and share with them what you've learned from the Word of God. And them share with you what they learned from the Word of God. 
and that mentoring relationship in Sequoia that, that builds when two people spend time together sharing what I've learned, what God's taught me, and the thrill of learning and sharing the Word of God. Well, these are lessons that, that I learned studying. And, and you know, you, you take, man, this, there's a lot of stuff in this story. There's a lot of things that could be talked about. But you know something? Let me boil down all of those lessons to the top three. Number one, talk to God. Talk to God. Put your experience into words and say them to God in prayer. That's life changing. God already knows it. But you need to put it into words and say it to him. Lesson number two, study your Bible. Because you know something? What you don't know will hurt you. These guys are confused. They don't understand the world. They don't understand the experiences of their own life. They're, they're, they're saying, I used to believe this. They're confused. They're troubled. They don't know what to do. And it was all because they didn't know their Bible. What you don't know will hurt you every day in your life if you live your life without knowing what God says about what's happening in your life. Study your Bible. Get to know God's letter of love to you. And finally, find somebody that you can share what God's taught you from his word and enjoy talking about the Bible together. Great lessons from two disciples on Resurrection Sunday, thought they were going home. Jesus interrupted their travels, and they ended up going back to Jerusalem for the Sunday evening service. 